hey, do this and you can throw out your alarm clock. Now, if you're really sharp, if you're a long-term listener, you realize that wasn't the normal opening for uh, this show. I usually have a little bit of a clip of taking care of business in the background, just the music, and then the voiceover announcing the entrance of the show. I started today with the song itself. Now, a couple of reasons for that. I mentioned the alarm clock at the outset there. The start of that song says you get up every morning from your alarm clock's warning, take the 815 into the city. There's a whip whistle up above and people pushing, people shoving, and the girls who try to look pretty. And if your train's on time, you can get to work by nine and start your slaving job to get your pay. If you ever get annoyed, look at me, I'm self-employed. I love to work at nothing all day. And it goes on. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that song in its entirety at the end of the show today. You can just listen to it or not as you choose, but I'll play the whole thing. But that's the song. You get up every morning from your alarm clock's warning. That's the song that I use every time I start this show. For 15 years, taking care of business. Got a licensing agreement with Sony Music to use that song. But it's important because that's the way most people start their day, with the alarm clock. Our quotation for today comes from Eric Thomas, who says, No alarm clock needed. My passion wakes me. Now, what would it be like if you didn't wake up to your alarm clock? Now, there's a piece in a magazine that I just read having to do with this as well. Sleeping too little can take a toll on your heart. When researchers followed subjects for seven years, they found that participants who slept less than six hours a night had a 20% greater risk of heart attack over the course of the study. If you wake up every morning to your alarm clock's warning, like from the song, take that as your body's signal that you're not getting enough sleep. The National Sleep Foundation advises getting between seven and nine hours every night. Your individual needs may vary. Good barometer that you're not sleeping enough is how you feel. If you're tired all day, not sleeping well at night, you should speak with your physician, recommend so on and so forth. Now, I'm just curious about that. You know, we hear sometimes about reducing the amount that you need to sleep. I saw a ridiculous article in a very popular, very credible business magazine years ago that talked about a guy who was eliminating one minute every night from his sleep. So he'd set his alarm clock one minute earlier. So he was going to reduce, see how much he could reduce his sleeping, you know, get down to like four hours. Well, that's 
ridiculous. And of course, there's been a lot of studies since then to show that it is ridiculous. You need to sleep. Your body will tell you when to wake up, when you're rested. And I haven't used an alarm clock in 35 years, I suppose. I go to bed when I'm tired. I wake up when I'm rested. And it's not some kind of leisurely lifestyle. It's just my body telling me that so I can function well during the day. Well, anyway, that's the deal. No alarm clock needed. My passion wakes me. If you're excited about what it is you're doing, that's enough to get you up in the morning. Well, some other questions we're going to be looking at today are, what if you don't see anything on your three-year horizon other than more of the same of what you're doing now and what you were doing three years ago? Golly, great question. Dan, should I stick with my current employer for the next 10 years until I can do what I really enjoy? I'm 42 years old and in a place of extreme aggravation and frustration. How about this? A couple of last ones, if we can get to them. My wife is afraid I'll outgrow her. Ouch. Another one says, I'm honoring my wife and killing myself. Well, we're going to be looking at all those possibilities here as we move through. Well, let's go to a couple of good news items here. Got some really cool things. And so, oh, incidentally, I got a resource for you. I want to share with you as well. Always have a resource. Our resource today is a brand new one we've got, and it's 48days.com slash mindset. Now, this is a course, but this is to address if you have dreams and goals that seem to be hitting a wall and you're achieving them, we put this together. I've got 48 little short videos there to help you with your mindset. Mindset, we find again and again and again as such a leader in opening the doors to the opportunities and the success that you want. So we've put together a course, got worksheets and everything for you, but these little, you can do it one a, one a day if you want to, or you can go through the whole thing at your own speed, but I encourage you to do it one a day, but go to 48days.com slash mindset to check that out. All right, some good news. This is a surprising outcome. There's a California city that gave struggling folks free money for a year. Now, this intrigues me. You know, it's always a challenge. You know, when you see somebody who's homeless, are you really helping them by giving them money? Are they going to really use that to get ahead? Or is it just like, you know, flushing it down to John? You know, how do you deal with people who are struggling? How can we best help them? I know it's something that Joanne and I have studied and experimented in many, many different ways. You know, how do we do that? Well, this was a kind of an encouraging experiment demonstrated by, it was the city of Stockton in California, and this is just finished. I mean, just, I mean, like this week, but they did a controlled study and what they did, they called the project SEED, Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration. And it, oh, it actually ended Feb, in February. So yeah, we just finished it a couple weeks ago. They distributed $500 every month for two years to 125 random people. Now, these are people who were poor, living below the median income, but they got $500 every month for two years. And the results are pretty encouraging. The most compelling fact is that the people who received the cash managed to secure full-time jobs at more than twice the rate of people in a control group who did not receive the income. Now, this was just $500 a month. And it wasn't enough to live on, but it was enough to help some people feel like they were more in control of their lives. Also, just the encouragement of having that support allowed some people to get new training, but they had over twice 
the success rate at getting full-time jobs as those people who were randomly matched, but were not receiving the $500 a month. Um, somebody says that the $500 allowed him to take time off work, get a certificate and switch degrees or switch careers resulting in a 360 degree turnaround in his fortunes. Uh, yeah. And, and really there were, there were people in that group who saved a significant amount of money, but just the $500 interesting experiment, one year experiment. They're realizing that it saves them money in other ways. Here's another one that's kind of related to that. This was done in Canada. I pulled this up because it was so much like this. This one just ended recently as well. So this was working with homeless people in Vancouver. Uh, They experimented with giving homeless people money. Now what they did here, this was the New Leaf Project. They took 115 homeless people who were confirmed not to have serious mental or substance abuse problems, and they gave them $7,500 to see if they could turn their, their life around. And again, the results were pretty heartening. One year later, most of those recipients still had $1,000 in savings. And 67% were where they could still feed themselves every day on their own. Average age was 42 years old. They had been homeless for six for average of six months. And they gave them $7,500. Now, again, there were remarkable advances in a whole bunch of these people who got training, got jobs, were able to get their own housing, saving money, all of those things. I mean, they didn't spend the money frivolously. They just didn't go out to party and invite all their friends, you know, and bought. No, they used it very, very conservatively. Again, having money saved up at the end, an average of $1,000 they still had after a year with just $7,500. Now, I, I don't have any real conclusions here, but I think it's worthwhile to listen to it, to pay attention in ways that we can, as individuals who are doing well, experiment with ways to help people effectively. And you may choose to have one individual that you give a significant amount of money to, rather than just 20 bucks at a time to homeless people down on the street. You know, just experiment, but think through how you can really help people. Joanna and I have done a lot of things, you know, with cars and apartments and jobs and those kind of things, and had some... uh, uh, Interesting results, to say the least, but we've learned a lot over time about how to give in ways that most effectively really will help people, and I trust you're doing the same. All right, now I want to just add this in here. Google, well, well, before I go to Google, our academic system has taken a mortal hit in this last year. With schools closed down, what they're discovering is that a whole lot of students are choosing not to come back to campuses, even if the doors are open. All of a sudden, students have really been confronted with the idea they can get any professor they want. They can get the best teaching in the world available by just jumping online, paying for courses, getting training anywhere they want, choosing selectively the kind of degrees they want to get. It's really wounded the old model of you got to go to a fancy campus, live in a dormitory for four years, you know, go through that kind of process to get a degree that's going to somehow give you an advantage. And of course, along with that, we're also hearing the horror stories of people who have $120,000 in student loan debt and they have a degree in you know, English lit and can't find a job doing anything. So Google stepped into this space two weeks ago. 
They announced the details of its professional certification program. They have three programs, including project management, data analytics, and software design. They have scholarships available. But here's the really interesting thing. Well, I've got a couple of really interesting things. They have 130 corporate partners that are ready to hire graduates. They're ready to hire, committed to hire graduates of these programs. Here's the real kicker. These programs take less than six months to complete, and the average cost is $240. $240 to become certified in one of these programs, project management, and data analytics. They've got some others as well. You can check it out. Actually, I'll give you the, the website. If you just go to grow.google slash certificates, that's a quick way to go there. I'll put this, that link in the show notes, but grow.google slash certificates will take you right there. So they have 130 companies that are saying, we'll hire anybody that has these degrees. Now, here's the, here's the deal. I mean, just look at this. There's a whole lot of people coming out of a four-year degree with degree in geography or political science or you know, some things, you know, journalism, communication. I mean, what, what do those things do to really give you a tangible skill? And companies don't know what they do. But now they're saying, oh, if you've got a degree in data analytics, we can use that. And these degrees up to six months, six months or less, $240. I mean, compare that to the $60,000 average total tuition for a four-year you know, school people are going to go to. This is going to change things, folks. I mean, there, there's, there's no question about it. We are not going to go back to the way things were. This is going to really change. But if you're at the point where you need an, a new opportunity, be aware there are some real opportunities out here uh, that may come at a much quicker and cheaper price than what you traditionally have been led to believe. Or we'll leave it for there. You know, submit your, shoot your comments in about that. It's a growing issue. Again, things are going to change dramatically. No question about it. We are not going to have the same kind of educational system moving forward. This has been, again, a mortal wound. We're going to see some changes and never go back to the way things were. Again, shoot your comments into me. Ask Dan at 48days.com. Be happy to include some of your comments in upcoming shows. Adam says, what if you don't see anything on your three-year horizon other than more of the same of what you're already doing now and what you were doing three years ago? Well, that, that's a pretty good guide. No question about it. If you look back three years and what you were doing then is much what you're doing today, we've got a real good predictor of what you're going to be doing three years in advance unless you take some specific action. Now he continues. He says that my question is then, how do I discover my dreams? I often think of what I could do, even if I were guaranteed not to fail. I've tried to elicit hidden dreams under the surface, but to no avail. I've tried writing my eulogy, like Dr. Stephen Covey suggested in his book, Seven Habits. What can I do to get out of my own way of discovering my dreams and passions? I'm 40 years old. I must be doing something right to still be gainfully employed and alive, but I also must be doing something wrong to still feel so unsatisfied, listless, and even rudderless. It drives me crazy to think and know there's a better life waiting for me out there, but I just don't know how to go about attaining it. I've been a high school English teacher. I've worked in insurance and water and fire restoration. I'm very social, very good with people, pretty good with technology, photography, have a good listening ear. 
as people with problems have come to me many times before for advice, and I have a great memory. You'd think that with these things all combined, it would have given me clarity and direction over the course of 40 years, but most days I feel as lost as I did at 18. Any tips? Wow. Boy, there's a whole lot packed in there, and I'm sure a whole lot of you are saying you identify with some of what Adam is saying. This, this is a workable process. You don't have to live in this unknowing world, this space, this your own version of Groundhog Day, where every day is just like it was the day before. You can break this cycle, but you've got to take the initiative. And it comes from you. Don't think that it's going to be an outside, outside job. It's an inside job. In the new version of 48 Days to the Work You Love, and I, I'm just not being self-serving, but I don't know of a better source to direct you to than chapter four of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Creating a Life Plan is the chapter title. In there, I talk about the fact that 85% of the process of having confidence about proper direction comes from looking inward. You've already got the clues at 40 years old with all the things you've done. Wow, that's your best source for getting clarity for moving forward and breaking this cycle that you're in. Look back. What are the things that you have proven to be really good at? What are your personality traits? You know, you say you're very outgoing. Okay, you're probably, you know, high eye on the disc. How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? What excites you? And then what are your values, dreams, and passions? But here's what I want you to do, Adam. Trust your curiosity. Follow your curiosity. I mean, in many ways, your personality, your passions, the things are just things that we say yes to. What is it that you, without even hesitating, say, yes, I want to do that. So here's a sequence. Follow your curiosity. As you do that, and experience doing something really well with excellence, you'll develop passion in that arena. And if you then have talent that combines with that, then you take those two together and say, okay, I have passion in this area, I have talent in this area. What is a need? What is a need, a problem that I could solve for people by combining these two? And in doing so, create a plan. Now that can be a traditional job, it can be something you do on your own. It doesn't have to be. It can be a traditional job if you see that there is the opportunity to blend those things. So curiosity, then passion, then talent, then you see a need, then you create a plan, and then you recognize a purpose that can change the world. Now, when I say a purpose that can change the world, I mean, you can wash windows and do that in a way that brings joy to people, makes the world a better place. So it doesn't have to be that you're going to be the next, you know, Gandhi or Mother Teresa, not necessarily, but trust that process, but it comes from looking inward. You have a perfect setup to get the clarity. At 40 years old, with a variety of things that you've done, looking back on those, can you can see the patterns emerge. And from those patterns emerging, then you can get a clear focus and from a clear focus, you can identify, now what kind of work will embrace that, what I know about myself? Great question. Thanks for submitting. Arthur says, I'm 43 years old. I'm a veteran. Many places don't want to hire a veteran as a driver. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure why that would be true. But anyway, you know, 
perception is everything. And Adams or Arthur says, I currently work as a local class B truck driver. When I started a couple years ago, I thought it was the best because it was small and it felt like family. Now the place has gotten huge and the communication has disappeared. That and the long days make a person feel unwanted and invisible. I have an Etsy shop, but almost zero sales. And I've been trading stocks. I love making crafts. Trading stocks is starting to make a nice little amount. The stocks don't take much time to do trades, but I'm not making enough yet to live off. Should I hire a partner or someone with who knows marketing and computers for the Etsy? Should I stick with my current employer for the next 10 years until I can live off of stock trading? Well, again, like Adam, the current question, you need to look inward. Look inward to figure out what it is that you really enjoy doing. If you're making money on stocks by doing it in a small amount, then could you amp ramp up the quantity that you're doing there so that you increase the amount that you're making? Now, certainly, you know, stocks, trading stocks so you can make money quickly is risky. You're going to be in things like commodities, things that are higher risk. But if you understand it, the key in anything, if it's stocks or real estate or coaching or Etsy or Amazon, all those things imply you understand that. So go deep in understanding something rather than being spread across a whole lot of things like this. I mean, there are people making money on Etsy, but there are a lot of people who make you know $50 a month and that's all. So if you're going to do that, understand how it works. What are the fees that they're going to take? How do you get in front of prospective customers of yours. So go deep in something rather than being spread across a whole lot of things here. No, I don't think you have to stay with an employer for 10 years until you can figure out how to live off what you enjoy. I think you can do it in six months if you really focus on what would that be and then create a plan that does blend your talent, your, your talent, your passions, and has an economic model, has a way that you can make money. There's a lot of ways to do that. You're not limited. It's not like there's only one and you have to discover it. No, there's a lot of them. But if you focus in, create a focus, there's more. It's like turning a light into a laser rather than a floodlight. A lot of people have all these interests. And you mentioned a lot here, Arthur, and I commend you on that. But focus in. There's power in focus, just like creating a laser. You can do that. Next question is, what am I doing wrong Dan, I'm 42 years old and in a place of extreme aggravation and frustration. I've been trying to get into the healthcare field for years. I received a graduate certificate in managed care in 2016, and I'm currently working on another certificate in health information management. Even with the certification, no doors are opening. I've applied for receptionist, administrative assistant, customer service positions, just to get my foot in the door, nothing. I've had my resume done over and over because of the bulk of my experience is in telecommunications. What am I doing wrong? Okay, I'm going to be really... All right, let's just kind of reflect on this. 42 years old, you've applied, you've got certificates in healthcare and lots and lots of attempts with no results. You say you've applied for positions as receptionist, administrative assistant, customer service positions to get your foot in the door, nothing... Now let's just back up a minute. I mean, healthcare is one of the hottest and fastest growing career areas in the country. Let's just cut to the chase. The only common element in all of those attempts is you. More degrees and certification 
are not likely to change your success. You need to find out why people don't want you on their team. I mean, most hiring decisions are made in the first three to five minutes of an interview, and those decisions usually have little to do with all the fine degrees and certifications on your resume. So I'm going to suggest that you pick up a copy of the old classic book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, written by Dale Carnegie back in 1935. The principles are simple to learn. You can transform your success with those. Well, this, you know, maybe this isn't what you wanted to hear, but it's actually great news because you can address the things that are holding you back overnight, immediately, instead of the lengthy process of acquiring yet another degree. Smiling, showing enthusiasm, listening well, making the other person feel important, having a firm handshake, making direct eye contact. Those are skills that may not get you a degree, but they can get you a job anywhere in town. All right, let's move on. Brian says, I'm pursuing a job that's a bit of a stretch from a resume perspective, but I know I have the skills, temperament, and ability to be great at it. I did an intro letter, sent a resume and cover letter, made the follow-up call just right out of the 48 Days book. On the call, I was told it would be a couple of weeks before they decide who to interview. What should I do now? Should I call again? Should I email? All right. Now, Brian asked this question also in the 48 Days Eagles community and got immediate response from coaches in there like Marianne Renner, who said, Brian, I once had a client who did some sleuthing to get the name and phone number of the hiring manager. He went right to the source. He made the call. She picked up the phone, did an impromptu interview. She invited him and hired him on the spot. He doubled his salary, eliminated a three-hour commute, and landed his dream job. I love that. Just direct action. Rather than just submitting a resume to the company and waiting till they are going to decide who to interview. Yeah, Ashley, Ashley Logston, my daughter, uh, offered this. Yes, keep in mind that a true go-getter who is a hot commodity for a position is not going to sit around for several weeks and hopes them in an interview. I agree with Marianne on staying more in the driver's seat here. It's not just them interviewing you, but you interviewing them as well to determine that position is a fit. If you really want the job, pursue it as yours. Don't wait for a line to build up and hope you're remembered. What can you do to make you memorable right now? Well, great advice. When you put in a resume, do your own creative follow-up. It can make you stand apart from the rest of the crowd and open up opportunities that other people will never see. All right, a couple that I that I mentioned here, and I'm going to include these about spouse questions. One, my wife is afraid I'll outgrow her. Now check this out. Dan, I've been doing many things lately for personal growth with my aim on self-employment and better health. Now this is really challenging because... There is comfort in sameness. I mean, we see a lot of people right now who are trying to keep things the same. They don't want things to change. They want things to go back to the way they were. There's comfort in that. And we talk a lot on here about change, welcoming change, doing things that initiate change, breaking things that aren't broken, growing implies change, success implies change. I mean, so we do talk about that a lot. So again, 
This listener says, I've been doing a lot of things lately for personal growth with my aim on self-employment and better health. Lately, I've learned that my wife is fearful that I may grow dissatisfied with her as I make improvements in my own life. I try to keep her in the loop by talking about what I'm reading and learning, but that just triggers more insecurity. How can I bring her along in my journey? Wow, what a great question and an important question. I mean, hopefully we're all growing and changing. Does that mean that we have to leave behind those that we once loved? I mean, certainly not. Golly, Joanna and I got married very young. We just celebrated another anniversary. We got a whole lot of numbers in our anniversaries. We got married very young. She was 19. I had just turned 20. I would be mortified if either of us were the same people today we were back then. Now, fortunately, we've both been interested in intellectual, emotional, spiritual growth in the years we've been together. But being committed to the covenant of marriage, we each have to take the lead in sharing areas that are new and intriguing to us. So here's my suggestions. You cannot be condescending in any way. You cannot flout your improvement, your thinking better, your feeling better. You can't flaunt that. Keep your wife informed about the new things that interest you. Yes. Make no implications that she should be doing what you're doing. I mean, I know how naturally that comes to all of us. Gee, I lost, just lost 20 pounds. Why aren't you doing it? You know, gee, I just, you know, read a book. I, I improved my mindset. I got a better job. We, we, oh, it's real easy to subtly imply that somebody close to us should be doing what we're doing. So make no implications that she should be doing what you're doing. Introduce her to new friends who are achieving in the areas that you're interested in. Invite her to attend special events you'd like her to attend. A lot of the way that I got Joanne to come along with me on this self-improvement journey that I've been on for many, many years is by having her come to conferences that I would go to or seminars or workshops say, hey, this is going to be in Denver. It'll be a blast. We'll spend a couple extra days. And she'd go. I remember one that, this is well after she was into this process, but there was a conference in Santa Clara, California that I wanted to go to. And I talked to my friend, Michael Hyatt. And I said, hey, let's go to this. We were both going to be speaking at a conference in, um, oh, the fancy town just outside of Denver there. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, we were both speaking at a conference and I said, it'd just be another hop and a skip over to California. Let's go. I said, okay. And we told our wives, you know, hey, let's go. You're going to love California. We'll spend a couple extra days there. Well, we went to the conference. It was actually a Brendan Bouchard high performance conference. And we just said, you know, you guys know the name, you know, we're reading his stuff. You know, you can sit in if you want to, you know, you don't, we don't expect it to be there, but you can pop in anytime you want to. We already paid for your conference registration. And then you guys can just stroll the streets and shop or stay on the beach or whatever you want to. Well, they were at the opening session and for four days, they never missed a minute, never missed a minute. Gail and Joanne both in there. I mean, wow, what a thrill for Michael and me to see their enthusiasm and their absorption. They're just taking in all this information that we found so inspiring ourselves. So invite your wife to things like that, that you can take her to. Show by example that you feel better, that you have more self-confidence and enthusiasm. Make your changes contagious for her. Now, here's, here's another 
another question that was so similar. I decided to include it here where he, he titled this honoring my wife and killing myself. Dan, I have a successful side business built around a weekly podcast. I've been running now part-time for the past five years. Successful meaning it fills a need, has a large loyal following, and it generates a good supplemental income. I'm miserable at my full-time job. Not only is it an hour and a half commute, 50 plus hours a week, taken away from my family, odd working hours, and the salary not being competitive, I'm physically drained and not mentally or physically healthy. I'm thinking of going full-time internet business because when I put 100% of myself into it, I come alive the business financially comes even more alive and I'm able to balance my life out. The problem is my wife is not supportive of the idea. She feels safer with the weekly paycheck and the health benefits. I feel as though I'm honoring my wife, but suffering inside and cheating my kids of a dad during the best years of their lives. All right, that's it. Man, what a, what a setup. What a great question. Let's just deal with the three major issues here. Number one, the job is safer and more secure. In today's workplace, that is probably not true at all. No job is secure. And if you're miserable, you're likely beginning to sabotage your position there. You simply cannot do well in a job where you're miserable, physically drained and unhealthy mentally, as you described. The chances of success are greatly enhanced in doing work where you come alive. You're going to be healthier. You're going to be a better dad, a better husband, all those things. Well, number two, with your current state of misery, your feelings of honoring your wife will certainly turn to resentment sooner than later. If you feel this strongly about the fact that she's holding you back, your desire to honor her is going to get pretty thin. You're going to have to deal with this in another way. Number three, the fact that your wife wants you to continue in something where you are miserable and killing yourself raises some real red flags about your relationship. I'd encourage you to sit down with a coach or counselor and present the facts as you have here. Get some outside advice about your best options. And again, you'll, with that, get perhaps a third party who's more objective to speak into this and maybe allow your wife to see this a little differently than she apparently does right now. My wife, Joanne, would have been very content if I had just gotten a regular job with a paycheck when we were first married, or really probably any time since then. But she laughs in thinking about me having a real job. She knows how I'm wired for change and innovation and creativity, and she supports that in me, even though there's been little security through the years. But honoring one another in marriage means embracing how God has uniquely gifted each of us, and trusting that passion and joy will release more success than obligation ever would. Wow. Yeah. So sit on with an impartial coach or counselor, present the facts, help her look at your entrepreneurial income over the course of a year, not week by week or even month by month, but have her look at what it is you're doing and seeing that with just a few hours a week, obviously you don't have much time to devote to that, but even just a few hours a week, you're doing something successfully. If you had an opportunity to increase the time there, 
how you could close the gap in the income. And again, this issue of security, it's so elusive. I know it's, it's still so appealing to think that if you get a paycheck on Friday, you have security, but oh my gosh, we have so many stories that have proved that wrong. You don't. I mean, there are people who worked for Enron and of course places like you know, Saturn who thought they had security and then realized it was nothing but an illusion. It wasn't security. It was just a temporary Band-Aid while those organizations were thriving. And as soon as things changed, boom, there's no security there. Well, hey, great questions. Again, keep those, keep those coming in. My goodness, just shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. I love getting those emails coming in so we can share times like this together, unpack these together. Be sure to check out our resource for today, 48days.com slash mindset. That's such a big part. I mean, you can you could do nothing else. You could do no, no training, no degrees, no anything else. Changing your mindset, I guarantee it's going to open up opportunities for you that you've not been seeing at this point. Well, as I promised, I'm going to go out with the full version. This is four minutes and 52 seconds of taking care of business. Be reminded again about this. You get up every morning from your alarm clock's warning. Well, if you want to get past that, go with our quotation for today. No alarm clock needed. My passion wakes me. You know, another thing I didn't share with you in while I was looking at taking care of business and kind of aware of the, the lyrics here, that song was released in 1973, in 1973, Bachman Turner Overdrive released this song, Taking Care of Business. That's become so iconic and certainly of uh, the introduction of my podcast here week after week. How many years is that? That is 48 years. 48 years ago, this song became popular and I continue to use it today. Hey, I don't want to have old music here, but it's one of those that's been kept popular because it's used in so many situations, taking care of business, just such a great theme, but uh, get away from the alarm clock. Hey, thanks for being part of this community where we are convinced with certainty, no shadow of a doubt here, those of you who are involved here, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. All right, I'm going to take you out with this. Listen as long as you'd like. Taking care of business, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Mm-hmm.